Hip hop, 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 I done watch them niggas do interview after interview They not culture vultures, the culture something they been into So if you never gave them a view, I recommend you do Cause when they question guests, they message is not subliminal It don't matter if you a rookie or at your pinnacle They gon' touch on stuff that you did and what you finna do It's uncensored too, yo they never had a goofy show But I saw some boys on they show acting goofy though Well if you think they L stupid though you would get exposed like the hoes on OnlyFans letting Coochie show. To introduce the show, when I sent this to Sam, asked, oh God, that nigga said, oh God, you the man, Cass. I spit white like a clan mask, and I'm a hustler. I could stand out on the beach and sell sandbags. Some things can last, but this ain't just a podcast. This is Sam Ant and Oh God, Cass. Hip-hop uncensored is the vibe, so subscribe. Hip-hop uncensored is the vibe, so subscribe. Oh, God, driving Sam and riding passenger side. And you heard it out the mouth of the greatest rapper alive. Hip-hop uncensored is the vibe, so subscribe. Hip-hop uncensored is the vibe, so subscribe. Oh, God, driving Sam and riding passenger side. I'm going to another episode of the Hip-hop Uncensored podcast. I'm your brother, oh, God. Hip-hop news. Uncensored is across from me as my co-host. It's your man Sam and Bauer. Hip hop news. Like my cuz said, man, you in the building for another edition of the hip hop and yeah. podcast on this motherfucker Friday. And goddamn it, we got a special guest in the building. That's right. The OG Nino Cappuccino on the podcast. See, I said it, Nino Cappuccino's on the podcast. How you doing today, family? Oh, you already know, man. What's up in the building, man? Shout out to Watts, man. Shout out to my community. Shout out to Watts. A W A T T S. Stand up, man. We in the building, baby. Jersey, stand up, man. Shout out mm-hmm. to all my real Jersey people out there, man. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here, man, with the Unsisted Hip Hop Hip Hop Unsisted Podcast, man. It's a pleasure, bro. Um, shit, I'm just here, man, on my campaign, man. You know, on my triumph. Indeed, man. Before we start breaking down everything we're gonna discuss this evening, man. First and foremost, holidays just kind of wrapped up, man. It's feeling good. We just ate with the family. How you feeling with everything going on in 2020 now, man? Give give the people a little game on how you're feeling with everything going on. We just kind of wrapped up an election. We got COVID out here. There's a lot going on in 2020 in this world, man. So how are you feeling with everything going on? Me personally, uh, I'm doing what a real king and a real uh, survivor is supposed to do, man. Play by the rules and survive. Don't get caught up with all the hype and all the bullshit that's going on. Because a lot of stuff, a lot of this stuff is a lot of smoke screens, man. It's been thrown out before us in front of us so that we won't concentrate on what's the real actual issues because there's some real issues that we need to be dealing with as far as human beings period that we're not even focusing on and um when it comes down to this this, the the political standards of things for us politicians and shit man you know uh that's a whole nother world within itself you know so just me in general i'm surviving i'm doing what i gotta do to take care of my family make sure everything is straight on my end um to deal with whatever obstacles may come my way or our way as the people, period. I'm, I'm shit, I'm, I'm ready, I'm prepared, man, for whatever levels. Other than that, just stay focused, man. That's what's up, man. They say you grew up. Come again? You... I said, now you say you grew up in Watts, right? Oh, for sure. Damn sure did, man. 
Day one, man, 1970, man. Talk about your upbringing. Talk about your upbringing and how that kind of moved you into the man's world today. Well, uh, it all it all started in the beginning, man. For me, 1970, uh, we landed into the lion's den, man, into the lion's mouth, man. Uh, William Nixon Gardens, man, one of the you know, the, the notorious projects, man, in the United States. Period, man. I know there's a lot of projects in the world, man. I, I, I don't take nothing from any projects, east, west, midwest, north, south. But I know my projects. We've been on the map. Feel me, system early '60s. We've been on the map. Nixon Guard is a monument housing projects. Uh, we host over 1,066 units. So imagine the bodies in there. At one point, we were at um, a 10,000 um, wrecking crew as far as just the gang aspect itself. That was just males, not talking about my homegirls. On, on, on the female count, we was up to like 65 to 7,000 as far as females. And that's not the entire project. That was just the active individuals who come from that area, who were really caught up in the soils of the gang back in that time. But me coming up from the 70s as a kid, uh, I grew up with a football and a baseball in my hand, first and foremost. That was my life. My path was already written for me from my parents, basically. You know, it's like like how other cultures groom their kids and set their future already ahead of time for them. That's how my parents had it set up for me and my siblings. So me personally, me being one of the oldest, so I had already had a plan. My plan was to become a professional NFL football player and an MLB baseball player, you know, because I was that great. So I wanted to do I wanted to do what Bo Jackson did, man, you know, flip the script and play both sports and be great at it. But somehow, down the line, as a lot of great Ghetto kids, man, to come out the ghettos, come out the depths of uh, wherever they come from, who have potentials to become something other than what their plan wasn't. You know, my shit shattered. You know, my, my dreams came to an end. I, I was going to school heavy. I had offers of uh, FSU to go to Fresno State University to live on campus with my coach. I came out of Pasadena Road to CYA. I was busting heads up there. Took a CIF championship up there in eighty. When I was in CYA, so uh, I came out of there. I met a coach when I was playing ball. So I had an opportunity. But, again, the streets was calling me. Being a dumb dumb, a young, hard-head, wild, you know, making fast money. The streets was calling me, man. So I ended up fucking off that opportunity. So just, just rewinding back to getting to that level, like I said, as a kid coming up in the projects, it was beautiful, man, because – it was a, a university within itself. Going to school, first and foremost, being taught from home, because I had two beautiful parents that loved me dearly and unconditionally, and my parents taught us well. My father was a was the coldest of the coldest, man. I mean, he was my everything. He was my mentor, my king, my best friend, my everything. So it was like, I, I, to compare other men with my father, you know, in life, it's like, that was the void that I was missing when I lost my parents. So at, at a young age, I come up at a young age of the projects where we we ended up in the projects. We was a tight knit family, and um, in the early seventies, we set trends in our neighborhood. Like for example, my father, we our family, we was the only black family in the Nixon Gardens, bro. That had a boat, straight up. We had a fucking boat, man. I'm talking about a 
I literally, we, we had a fishing boat. And my daddy used to make us, we pull that sucker up from the, from the most important lot, jump it up on the curb, push it in our backyard, chain it up to our backyard. And that was our boat. Everybody in the hood know that was the Jay, that was the Dodson's boat right there. They knew that was our shit. We had campers. My daddy had a Ford Falcon. Man, I couldn't stand driving that car, man, but it was a Ford Falcon and it ran clean and good. But these are just the things that growing up as a kid, taking you back reminiscing, man, how we grew up as kids, as real kids. So these are things that I experienced as a kid before my life took another toll. So um, like I said, we set trends. My daddy was the first black African-American who had the soft ice cream in Watson. I mean, the entire Watson. PJs, the Nixon Guards, uh, the Jordan Downs, uh, a non-douche bishophood, 118th motor park. Everybody knew my pops. Because my father had the first uh, red and blue, uh, they called Dipsy Doodle back then in the 70s. It was called Dipsy Doodle. So that was the soft ice cream that was introduced to the world, soft ice cream on the cones. Then Pops came with the chili cheese fries and chili cheese Fritos, his own little recipe. So he put his own twist and shit. So we were known, my family were known, you know, very known in my neighborhood. And uh, like I said, my father set a lot of trends in my neighborhood alone as far as uh, just being a great parent and a father. He was mentored to a few different kids in my neighborhood. Uh, one of my one of my close-knit homeboys I grew up with by the name of Loaf. You know, my father was a good mentor at Loaf, you know. Uh, shout out to LB, man, OG LB. Uh, Loaf used to work with my dad and do a lot of things that I wasn't doing at the time with my little brother because we was being buck wild and running around in the projects. Or I was more or less, I was concentrating on my sports. But then I was I was living a double life. I was like, the streets was calling me. I was watching my OG Bonnie Hunter big homies from the first generation. I'm in the cut watching them, watching them get out, watching their alliance, watching how they structure, how they move, they style. Everything, so I was like, damn. Hmm. So I was fascinated by that. And then me, me already been a fighter, having a big heart, having a father who stayed on me, who instilled these things in me and my brother. So it was like, I was prepared for a lot of shit already. So when the streets was calling me, it was like, damn. I was paying attention to it. But then I was still solely trying to concentrate on my path of these careers that I already seen for myself when it came to football and baseball. So, you know, I grew up in the projects having fight, a lot of fights. Um, I picked a lot of fights, basically, because, you know, I, I, I had built a strong reputation for myself off top. So a lot of my fights was just fights in general where, you know, we were young, probably got bullshit arguments. And I, you know, off top, I was taught immediately in an argument, you don't argue over 20, 30, 40 seconds with no nigga, man. You take flight. You can put yourself in position. You get in the right position. They didn't keep up with his guns, and you you give it to him straight up. You gonna you you gonna find out really if this argument was worth the argument, or, or you really what you say you are. So this is what we were taught from the very beginning as a young youth growing up in the Nixon. Man, we were taught the defense mechanism. You know, we were taught to build a defense before anything. It took me a long time in life before I was able to break down and understand my offense mechanism. It was all, always there because it was taught for me by my parents at an early age. You know, and what I mean by offense, meaning that when you have a situation or an obstacle is, is, is coming before you and you know, okay, damn, I can squash this shit like a cockroach. It's, it's, uh, this dude don't mean shit to me. Or this, it ain't worth it. 
Mm-hmm. That's offense. That's been on your offense. But then growing up in the projects as a young kid, offense isn't good a lot of times because if you walk away from shit, which means that's offense, you've been a punk. Yeah. Regardless, regardless of he's a punk, you know you'll beat his ass. Okay, you, at this point in time, you just got to prove that point. You got to whoop his ass because that's just what it is. So it's like you always find yourself on the defense. And just growing up, like I say in the Nixon, man, it taught me so much as a kid and prepared me swell to become the man that I am and the solid individual that I am, man. So, you know, I, I, I took my hat out to my neighborhood, man, because, you know, if I had to do it over and, and, and my parents had to land into a poverty-stricken situation and, and, and we, we had no choice but to be into a poverty area to grow up somewhere, man, I w- it had to be the Nixon Gardens. I couldn't pick nowhere in America I would want to grow up and be from or hood that if I was forced to claim or claim by choice, it would have to be the Bonnie Hunters. It would have to be the Nixon Gardens. That's what I know. Feel me? And it was instilled in me. And I, I'm devoted to it. I'm dedicated, dog, to the fullest. Although I'm retired from the streets. I'm retired from, from the neighborhood. I'm retired from that aspect of life. But, you know, shit is instilled in our heart when you're a real G, bro. So this is why I come on here, I come on these platforms, and I extend the courtesy of me giving these livelihoods, because this is what it is. It's my livelihood, not stories. It's my livelihood. It's what the fuck I really went through. It's what I experienced in my life. Not just me, other OGs across the country, across the world, man. You know, Crips and Bloods, gangsters, disciples, Latin kings. It don't matter. Whatever click. It's OGs all over the world, bro. And when we tell these situations. It's not about telling the story. Now, a lot of these these fake-ass niggas over here that call themselves OGs ain't real OGs. They don't hear telling stories. Mm-hmm. But you got to be able to decipher the shit. So it's a difference between telling the story and explaining and sharing your livelihood. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. A lot of these niggas don't got no livelihood, man, because they didn't really experience that, homie. They just barking off at the mouth. This shit is illogical. It's not yeah. logical facts. They didn't live this shit, bro. Um, we took a trip last year. Yeah, hey, fam, can you do me a favor? Because it seemed like we're getting a little static. Um, do you see at the bottom of your screen where the microphone says mute? Yeah. Can when we're talking, can you hit that mute button for me real quick? All right, hello, hello. All right, cool. So I'm gonna ask you the question real quick because we were getting some static, and then um, I'll let you do your thing. So last year, um, we went out to Los Angeles for the BET Awards. It was real dope. Um. We like to go to certain areas and feel the culture of the area, feel the culture of the situation. That's what we like to do. So we out there. We're at the Staples Center in Hollywood. We're doing our thing. And my cousin's like, yo, I've never been to L.A. I don't really feel the culture out here. I said, because the culture ain't in Hollywood. It ain't in the stars and the lights. It's down there in the bottom. So we went down to um, Crenshaw and Slauson with the um, Nipsey spot to pay homage, to pay respects. And the second we walked out the car, that that culture that we were looking for, it was all through the streets, all through the cement, all through the people. We felt that and that kind of the culture is felt in every inner city throughout America. And I felt like that bit of culture is was originated in L.A. Can you talk about how rich the culture was growing up and how I mean, you expounded on it a little bit, but you expound on it more on how prideful it was to be um, with the culture in L.A. Oh, you got to unmute yourself, brother. So every time when you speak, you want me to unmute, you want me to mute it? If you don't mind. Okay, gotcha. No problem. Appreciate you. So, uh, yeah, no, uh, you were right on point how you explained it. Basically, it's like 
because of the change of venue, you know, over the years and over the decades, of course, things change. Um, what you guys experienced is a generation gap of what was going on back then. A lot of things are different. So in order for you to really feel that culture, like you say, you got to go down to the hoods, bro. You got you literally got to go to the monument spots in Los Angeles, whether it's you want to you want to go to the Hispanics and feel the, their culture, you got to go to the monument Hispanic spots. Like for example, Alvaro uh, Street, go to Alvaro Street, that whole corner, that whole sector, that whole mile radius of area right there, will give you that Hispanic culture because everything in there is their culture. From food, fashion, clothes, uh, inventions, everything. And the thing, same for us. Uh, if you want to know about the Watts culture, you want to see that culture, you want to feel that culture. Like when you went to Crenshaw, you were you were on the west side of Los Angeles. Farming. So as soon as you soon as you guys went to the west side of LA, you seen the culture you were looking for because that's the area where our kind, our people. Us as Black African Americans, we were poverty stricken to a lot of these areas to where we culturized it, so it became our culture. So just like when when games came out, games wasn't intended. You feel me? From the very beginning, Crips was a you know community revolution in progress. That's what Crips originally standed for. So Crips, Tuki, Raymond Washington originally their, their whole aspect of their mind frame was, oh shit, we finna come up with this boss ass gang name. We could have destroyed and terrorized Los Angeles. They didn't have a slightest inclination where that shit was going. They took off the planning of what Black Panthers had left off. So that was our, you know, like our, our strength of like, okay, shit, how do we come back together? How do we continue to stay together as pro black? Because, you know, now, of course, Fat Boy annihilated the, you know, the whole Black Panther party and the whole. Black Panther congregation. So now, what do we do next as blacks? So that's when the Crip situation emerged. So Gaines wasn't built to be something uh, genocide, self-genocide, uh, destruction, death, none of that shit. It was something that grew up on us. And then there was plans that were threw in there as well that we bit, we bit into by choices mm-hmm. and we became a part of the shit that was planned and we genocide and we destroyed for three decades, bro. So again, going back to your, the coach question, you have to go down into these monument areas to feel that culture. Prime example again, you want to feel a great culture? Leave from the same area I was at downtown, jump on the train and experience being on the train and drive that blue line all the way to watch where you feel some great culture. And I'm talking about culture, man. It'll make you feel like, okay, shit, I'm at home. I'm back. I'm, a, I'm on one of them subways in New York because it's going down. Yeah. You feel me? And it's the culture. You're going to hear all type of vibes, different conversations. You know what I mean? It's that culture. And to get off the train and to go see our historical mighty watch towers, it'll give you that feel, that vibe. Walking through that neighborhood, just walking through those areas. Seeing the people and hearing the birds and just seeing like them, okay, in the movies, everything that's just like certain parts of New York and Chicago and Philadelphia and New Orleans, everything ain't dirty in our cities, bro. 
every fucking thing ain't dirty. Like, oh, this, this girl is dirty. Yeah. It, it's probably stricken areas. Hell yes, it is fucked up. It's filthy. But you got historical monument places all over the world, different cities that are beautiful, bro. That brings out that culture of us. Now, now you talk about gangs and being in place as a youngster. Um, what, what were some of the things that the, the gangs did that enticed you as a youngster to want to join them? I mean, I'm a mute right quick. Hit me with, back with that question, God. Cool. I said, you said you spoke about, you know, gangs and being enticed, you know, as a youngster. Um, what were some of the things that the gangs did that enticed you to join up with, with the gangs as a youngster? Like, what, what drew you to wanting to be a gang member? Uh, first and foremost, my big homies. Shout out to my big homies. Cats like Ray Boys, rest in peace. Terry Moses. Uh, Gary Barker. Tony Barker. Oh, man, it's, it's a list that goes on, bro, that enticed me when I seen these dudes, when I seen them fight. Bunny Hunter Frog, both frogs, you know what I mean? Johnny Westbrook. Uh, when I seen my big homie squabble and fight, it was like, damn, these is beast. They fight. They, they, they monsters. So for me, already having that kind of heart and that soul instilled in me, that shit enticed me. It was like, oh, if I do take that route, I'm going to be like them niggas. I ain't, I ain't taking no shit from nobody. Niggas gonna know my name. I'm fucking, I'm, I'm smashing everything in my way. And so I started instilling that in myself as a youngin from 13, 14, 15. So let's say I'm in a Marvel game at 13 years old, 14. And my neighbor, he knocked one of my Marvels off the pot. And he really kind of knocked it out and beat me. But I'm gonna smoke, fuck that shit. You know, so, man, now I'll do that over. But I, I, I shot it, I beat it. I said, no, you cheated. So now we're in an argument. Basically, we pick a situation to test our skills. This dude is bigger than me, but at the same token, I want to I know if he can fight because I want to I test my fighting skills. So I take flight right. on it. Now I just fucked the dude up over some marbles. It's bullshit, but that was the projects. That's how the shit trained us. It conditioned us on those kind of levels. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I'm a flipping now. I was 13. My play relative, which is my best friend right now today, this was the one nigga first taught me, don't never let a nigga, my daddy had already taught me and warned me, don't never let a nigga walk up on you in an argument at that and get persistent and take flight on you, man. You always take flight first. We had a baseball game. Now, Maya, again, like I said, we had I had all the equipment. I had nine gloves, four or five baseballs, aluminum bats. I had all the equipment. Everything I needed, my father, my parents sponsored to make sure I had it. So when it came down to the basketball, whatever sports it was, we had to sit. So people would come to our house to rent out my stuff or say, hey, can we play with this? Okay, cool. So we had a big baseball game going on. Different sides of the projects. We planned each other. The lights was coming on, bro. The street lights, bro. I'm not finna get my ass whooped by my 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 daddy or my mama fucking with that, man, because the street lights on. And some of you niggas can stay out midnight at 12 and 13. Nah, bro, I'm, I, I gotta get out of here. So I'm scooping up mitts and getting my equipment and shit, right? So my ready. I tell my boy, man, why you taking the stuff, man? 
Just let us keep it with bringing them all. I said, no, man, I ain't leaving my shit out like that all night, man. So we arguing now, and I'm picking up stuff. Some certain dudes, they giving me my gloves and putting them in my bag. So I get to him to get the glove. He do my glove like this behind his back. So now we tussing for the glove. So I get my glove from him. So now I snatch my glove. I said, I don't know what the fuck you doing, man. So now we arguing. Now as we arguing, I'm walking back toward my house. And he argued with me. He said, what? Nigga, what you say? Now mind you, I'm I'm 13. He like 12. Let me know he's because he's two years younger than me. He like 11, 12. But he big. Now his daddy was a squabbler. Big Leon Jones, rest in peace. Man, Uncle Leon, man, was a squabbler. So he used to teach both his sons, Kevin Jones and Greg Jones, how to box. So they stayed in their granny backyard all day boxing. They both were softballs. They was left-handers. Mm -hmm. When I was growing up, I studied Master BKF. You feel me? So I was getting down with the karate, Shotokan, jujitsu, and wrestling shit. So it was like I had a mixture. So he walked up on me, bro. And as we argued, he fired. Bam! Man, he hit me with that fucking left and hit me right in my fucking nose, bro. You know what I'm saying? He hit me. And this is my first lesson in the project. He hit me in my fucking nose, man. And I was so dazed, I couldn't fall back in it. So I, I spent around and I broke right in the house. And my daddy was standing on the porch, leaning like this with his arm, watching the whole thing. And I ran in the house and my daddy thought I was running. He said, what, what, what you doing? You running? I, I just ran right by him. I ran in the house and I grabbed my machete, right? I grabbed my machete and I kept running right past my daddy, stroking. I'm on his ass. I'm going to chop his ass to pieces. Man, that nigga all that. Like four or five days later, we caught back up with him. He said, oh, boy, he said, well, I, I knew you was going to become who you was when you chased me with that machete. You know what I'm saying? That, that was a quick lesson, bro, at 13, growing up in the hood. So that one time taught me not to never let myself get caught up like that. And I, I can count on one hand being an ex-gang banger, an ex-gang member, former gang leader, getting fired on by a one-on-one -on -one situation. Not a rat pack situation, but me and one nigga getting get ready to get out. Three times, bro. And the other two times I was in the county jail and I was handcuffed and the nigga snuck cheap shopping. The second time we were going to visit and it was an all-out riot. So it was me and this nigga from 7-4 named Big Devil from 7-4. We didn't really get along. And I was coming down the line with a crew of my crew of niggas and we was going to visit. And I kind of glanced over at the niggas and I woofed on them and I took my eye off him. He jumped up five and I spent right on him and we on him. So at that time we mixed him. Oh, it's about 25 niggas in the hallway in the county jail. We blended. Mm. But that's the only time in my whole entire life, bro, I ever had the experience getting fired on. Because all the other times, I'm a locomotive, man. I don't take, I don't do all that arguing shit, bro. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, you might remember when we was kids and it used to be the knock the chip off my shoulder shot. Uh -huh. And that created a that created the, the fight itself. Like, okay, if you tough enough to knock this chip off my shoulder, I gotta take flight. <laughs> yeah. It was like you learn these things fast, man. You know, mm -hmm. so I I my influence overall, like I say, just watching my big homies, watching my homegirls, how they move, how they were submissive to my homeboys, and how that shit was just together, you know, a force. And I was like, damn. You know, I know that ain't going to be my life because I'm going to play football. I'm going to be a baseball player. I'm going to represent this neighborhood on another level. That was my mindset. 
But shit, man, I lost my parents back to back. I lost my, my, my king, then I lost my little brother, then mm. I lost my queen, bro, Damn. to my year after year, bro. And that took me to a whole nother level, and I became the devil from that point himself, man, for about two decades. And I smashed, and I led regimes, bro, to a whole nother level, man, when it came to my second generation, because that's what I come from, the second generation body hunters. So I got courted in, I conjoined that whole movement, and I became it. So from that influence that I already had at a young age of 12, 13, and 14, growing up playing ball and watching my big homies, I had already had a lot of stuff instilled in me that I already knew how to get out, that I was ahead of a lot of my peers at my age because I watched them. I was paying attention to my big homies. When these niggas was playing games and being kids. It's like a lot of other my homies in my, my age bracket who was watching the big homies and know how to move, and they was getting their money at an early age. Like the lot boys established and set a trend, which we called Dush and Grab. These niggas was my age at that time, 13, 14, getting two, 3,000 a day, 1,700, 5,000 from Dush and Grab. Hmm. Let, me break, let me break it down to you, explain to you what Dush and Grab is. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm doing a film about it, a movie. But uh, one of the homies, you know what I'm saying, me, shout out to G. Raven, man, G.I.S., you know what I'm saying, me, Big Loaf, Big Hook, OG Hook. Feel me? We, we, all the LBs, man, all the real ones, man. And yeah, the homies, Imperial Highway was a sector, it's a main highway that runs through our community. Yeah. From project to project, from Imperial Courts down toward the Nixon Gardens, all the way on down to the beach. Feel me? All the way on back down to Linwood. So, we didn't have lights in between the main street of Central Avenue was the only main light. Anything between Central, the next main light, was two miles down, which was Wilmington Boulevard. And you didn't want to be sitting on Wilmington. And the next light from Wilmington was Mona Boulevard. You didn't want to be sitting on that motherfucking light. So that's three trap lights you cannot be stopping at as a white person in 1975, 76, 77, 78, Spanish, white, Korean, eight, black, it don't matter if you look like you had some money and you pulled up on one of them lights and you stuck, chances are you getting got. So the homies made this invention. They used to take these little pebbles, little stilly bodies. Feel me? You got one lookout and you got one slanger. The slanger is who's going to get the money or go get the purse. And the lookout takes all the perimeters. Mm-hmm. Feel me? Not giving up all the game, but you know, this was the back in the day thing how young niggas got money, bro. You know, this ain't how niggas get it down, but this was back in the day how, you know, we set trends. And so the homies, uh, you know, I, I used to, and again, I wasn't a distant grabber. I, I I I had the heart to, you know, if I had to, I lay a nigga down or something. Like that, the distant grab, to me, I don't know, it just seemed so complicated. Like, because it was timing. Like, you got to, when the car pull up, you got to know when the car exactly pull up and what window to hit. Then you, you got to have the right eyeballs to see the lady when she pulled up or whoever pulled up. It's, it's a person in the seat because that's how nine out of ten, all the victims get got. Their bags are sitting right in the seat. Whatever they had is sitting right in their passenger seat. So you can see that. And you you hit that pebble, hit that window, shot of the window, and next thing you know, your arm is in there and you out of there. So mm-hmm. in 20, 30 seconds, 
You don't even know what hits your ass. All you think is a BB or something hit your window. Right. And you can't panic and hit the gas because you got cars in front of you. Right. And guess what? It ain't just one car getting hit. It's simultaneously. It might be three or four fucking cars getting hit. <laughs> All the simultaneously, bro. Game, homie. Shout out to the Real Bs, man. Trendsetters, baby. That's what the project, we was known for getting that money, man. The Nixon Guard was a billion dollar monument, homie. Straight up. It taught us at a young age. So I was I was inedible. It was, hey, it was, it was destined when it started calling me, man. So when I lost my parents from the from 17 on up, I hey, it was a rap. From 17, I just really I went all in. It was so you, a rap, man. you was born in 1970, right? 1970? Huh? You were born in 1970? No, I wasn't born in the 70s. I'm a, I, 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 let's just say I'm a 60s baby. All right, so you OG. Okay, so about 17, 17 you about you into the 80s, late 70s, 80s. Oh, my fault. I said, so you about 17, 18, you about mid 80s, about to go into the 90s. 90s, we, we were kids at the time in 90s. That was about probably on the East Coast, looking at the West Coast, some of the bloodiest times that we've ever seen anywhere. Mm-hmm. Bro, from the riots, the Rodney King, everything that we've seen. How was it like on the streets and, and during that time in the 90s? Yeah, yeah. So now, see, when I say, when I, when I explain Express, um, it started for me in 1970. I don't mean from birth in my hood. I mean, okay. I landed in my hood in 70. So let me let me give a little clarification. Okay. First seven, eight, nine years of my life, I was born in Jackson County, Missouri. I was from Kansas City. I got family in Kansas City, Texas, St. Louis. You feel me? So that's my bloodline. That's my family. Shout out to the Midwest, man. Shout out to KC. That's my family. You know what I mean? 39 in Montgomery, Truce Lake. You feel me? I used to crawl there. All that, bro. So when my father descended to Los Angeles for a better situation, because my father was an Army veteran, and so my daddy was very experimental. He'd get up and pack up in a minute and have us a in Nebraska, some there where Alaska living somewhere. That's how my father was. So mm-hmm. he took us to LA. So I came to LA with him first before my siblings and my mother. So my pops set up everything, got set up about like 69, 68. Pops got set all up and everything. Pops ended up in buying a whole corner on 103rd and 101st and Broadway. So that's how me and my brothers, we ended up in Sheenway, which was the first black karate federation in school. In, in Watts in South Central. Then the second one was on Crenshaw, which is where Big U and all them with him and his brothers and all them. Because I was born back then in them days. And I knew them back in them days when they were born. Because I my my, my 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 sincere was Sammy, Samuel, you know Sammy, Samuel Jackson, Steve Sanders, Muhammad. So I, I was really heavy, heavy into my shit. So my daddy ended up going bankrupt. So by 70. We had family and relatives already in the Nixon. So we was going in the project, spending nights, going to see my family. My cousins was over there. So my daddy and my other relative, Big Cecil, he was living over there. So my daddy said, look, I'm going to just move to the Nixon right now. We're going to be there for about a year or two. And I'm going to go buy get us a couple more houses. I don't worry about it. I got a plane. But unfortunately, we ended up in the hood. About 10 years surpassed. I lost my father, bro. And then from there, I lost my little brother and my mother. You know what I mean? So we, we, 
I'm, I end up in the hood in my unit, 867, 45 years, man, over 45 years in the mix. You feel me? So that's how it was established for me. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm from originally from, I'm a sister's baby, man. And I try and do those sets. That's why I say, when cats be talking, they thinking I'll be over here. That, but I, I'm adamant about what I speak and what I say because it's where I really live. I'm, I've been up, I grew up with the best of the best. I did this shit for the best of the best. To still be here amongst this generation to be able to speak on it and share it and teach. Man, and they can't tell me shit, man. Nothing, man. You know what I mean? So, and then, and, and, and when you when you guys was 18, 17, 18 in the 90s, we were pushing our truth line. Then, see, then I saved lives for 12 years in the 90s. From 1992, to 2004, bro, it wasn't a death in Watts because of cats like me and the whole committee who represented that truce movement, who pushed that line. We saved lives in our community for 12 years, bro. It was unrecorded. The media wouldn't record it. They wouldn't put it on the news. They wouldn't consistently let the world know about it. So this is why my movie is important. This is why my movie is recorded because the movie is going to tell the whole world the truth. The movie is going to give the whole world the vision of what they really didn't know and how this truce was origin. It wasn't origin from no Los Angeles. It started Jim Brown House. Jim Brown wasn't a peace treaty maker. It wasn't T. Rogers. Wasn't none of these things taking nothing from them brothers. It started in Watson, straight up. The mediated, the mediator situation was established at Jim Brown's house for all the gangs of Los Angeles. That was the original plan. But that was impossible to happen because it was too much fucking death killings going on in L.A. at that time to bring a peace treaty amongst all the gangs. Man, niggas wasn't going for that shit. Yeah. Your homie just got killed yesterday, nigga. You talking about going to peace? Man, you getting beat up for even presenting that mm-hmm. to somebody. That's how crucial it was. So in my era, it was about them 70s. Them 70s was my first generation big homies. So when we took the baton in the 80s, that's why it was called the bloody 80s because we took it on a whole nother level. But it was everything we did was structured. The difference between this generation, this era, is there's no structure, bro. It's wild. It ain't no different than the shit we did was wild, but this shit had structure with it. We was not guarantee you, you can go back through the statistics. Babies wasn't dying in the 70s and 80s, bro. Little kids wasn't getting shot in no drive-bys. Feel me? Uh, women wasn't just getting shot at random daily. It was the individuals who was involved with the bullshit. Point blank, bottom line. Mm-hmm. If you even look like a soldier with the wrong colors on, you may be mistaken. Then you was a sacrifice piece then on board. But forced innocent bystanders just getting shot, shot. Boy, that shit wasn't happening back then because we had rules. Another prime example was a rule. And it's crazy that it may sound. But just, just imagine. Here it is. You got these gangsters, bro. These gang members and these gang bangers. And they hate each other. They hate each other's neighborhood. And they go at it duty. Bam, bam, bam. Squabbles, everything. You see a nigga, what's up, homie? What set you from, blood? Where you from, cud? And it's all on sight. But come Sunday, everything shut down. It minimized. You asked yourself, why is that? Because we had enough structure and enough respect by our elders and our elders, our, our, our grandparents, our aunties, our uncles who went to church and was devoted church goers, we had shut down. Or you better not do a drive bar or collectively do something and it's on that particular day 
and let one of them elders some get hit. Oh, it's all hell gonna break loose. The niggas within your own hood, your circle is gonna DP. They coming to get you. You don't gotta worry about the police coming to arrest you because it's gonna be arrest within the hood. See, that's the difference. We policed our own shit. We we politicked our own shit. Right was right, wrong was wrong. Little homie, you went out and robbed the homeboy's grandmother from a trade gangster or six deuce brim. That's somebody's grandmama. I don't give a fuck about it. it was a gang, but that's somebody's grandmama. He getting DP, bro. They ain't gonna let that shit ride and say, okay, it's cool, because if not, whatever hood that is who robbed that grandmama, man, that hood is coming up to my friends man, like some with some shit. Because that was a total violation of the G code. See, we had G code, we had rules, bro. So it was a difference, man. It was a major difference. Talk about your movie, your upcoming movie, and um, what you're going to detail on that movie for the people. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> the truth. Yeah, the truth, man, is uh, America's untold true story, man. Based on three individuals coming out three major housing projects and a committee of other individuals behind these three individuals who came to a decision that enough was enough. It's like, look, how can our kids grow up to end up having a life, have a fair share or a chance with all this killing that's going on and all the war that's going on within our communities there? You can't even walk down the block. This shirt I got on, I would have never wore this shirt 30 years ago. You couldn't pay me to wear it. I wouldn't give a fuck. How much money I had to get? You couldn't pay me to put on this blue shirt, bro. That's how fucked up we were mentality-wise and how this shit had us and how devoted it was because it was all about the colors. Everything was surrounded significantly about the colors, bro. Straight up. Everything. You could be the squares dude in America that don't know shit about games, but if you had on the wrong color and you entered the wrong sector, your ass was doomed. A lesson. One of the one of the gangsters had enough sense to say, hold on, homie. Oh, that, that dude from such and such. Oh, he from 10 by 2, man. He don't know nothing, homie. Let him go. Hey, look here, homeboy. Don't come back around here with that type of shit on my nigga. We don't do that shit around here. And that's for red and blue. Both sides. That's how sincere and serious it is. You know what I mean? So this shit was all about the color. The color identify everything. So the movie itself, it surrounds all these themes. It, it, it takes us back to the origins of games. Mm. And, I, and I'm not going to give the whole entire story itself, so I just get like a little piece of piece scenario. And like I say, the trailer is up and out. People can see the trailer. Uh, you guys got the trailer attached on your page. I appreciate it, man. So you guys can see the trailer. Uh, I'm, right, I'm right in the... Um, in the mix right now, clamping down the lasting of the deal as far as distribution date, a date for 2021. I'm looking and pushing me and my team. Hopefully, you know, everything's fingers crossed, God's will, God's willing. I, I, I don't know. I would give me a black history release as I'm, I'm pointing for it, man, because that's how important this, this historical piece is, man. It's a, it's a black history monument film, bro. There's nothing like you've ever seen before. I'm so proud of myself. My team, shout out to Stipe, Dwayne Holm, shout out to Dawoo Shrells, Morelli, man, you feel me? Shout out to Jordan Down Housing Projects, PJs, definitely the Nixon Gordons, Hacienda Village, man. You ain't never, ever in your life seen before cinematic on film, all four amazing housing projects, bro. 
all four major housing projects. It ain't never been captured. John Singleton, shout out to the late great John Singleton, man. John was able to give us a glimpse of two different projects, the Joy Downs and the PJs. Just a glimpse. I took y'all into the lion's mouth, man. I took y'all into the den, bro, of all four housing projects, including the people, authentic people. This film is powerful, man. That's all I can tell y'all, bro. In Brad, troops. What does it do to drop? You said about well, um, Black History Month, right? Yeah, so roughly, I'm, I'm, I'm aiming at a Black Black History Month. When that dropped, you definitely got to come back on and talk about it because we're going to be checking that out, man. That's going to be a powerful piece, bro. Oh, man, y'all got that, man. A lot, a lot of these cats, man, you know, they're going to have to uh, ante up, man, because, you know, it's I, it's going to be hot, man. So I'm going to be all over the place by that time. And I'll, as a matter of fact, when I come back to you guys, I'll be bringing my, my, my partners with me, which will be the Wayne Holmes, which is an OG PJ Crip, then uh, OG Grape Street, the way, uh, uh, excuse me, Dawood Sorrells, which is a Muslim brother. And the crazy part about it, bro, is our story is the transition of us from gangsters and gang bangers to becoming fathers, king, and change men. Oh. And these two dudes, two of my, I'm to my, my partners, my friends today, bro. And, and, and but 20 years ago, 25, 27 years ago, I'd have knocked me fucking head off if I caught any one of them. Mm. If I caught any one of them slipping across the tracks, anything, I'd have knocked their head off. Ain't that shit? Yeah. So it's, it's amazing how God has a plan, how in the spirit itself, and how transition can take part of having this plan itself of growth. So, you know, shout out to my team, man. Shout out to my crew, man. Again, Big Snipe and Dawood, man. They can't die, die, man. Stop eating that pork, too, nigga. Fact. <laughs> Truth coming out. Hopefully, we get that out on uh, Black History Month, man. Go check that out for sure. Hey, I want to ask you, man, because I don't know if you noticed, but a couple months ago we had on. Um, can you hear me? Or can you do me a favor, mute us. Oh, All right, dope. So a couple months ago, shout out to Phase on Love, man. We had Phase on Love on our platform. He's a normal guest on the podcast. Shout out to that brother. And I forgot what we were talking about, but you brought up Davies being a fake crypt that caused a lot of conversation amongst um, the hip hop uh, world out here. And then uh, we had Spider Loco, and we asked him to get some context on when that transition was that. Uh, Bloods and Crips left West Coast and came over East and just give us some historical context. We got an OG on right now, man, and I definitely want to get your perspective on that whole situation. If you've seen that interview and give some um, historical context on that, um, not something that's not in the movie, because I know you, you um, elaborate on that in the movie as well. All right, man. Yeah. Uh, first and foremost, man, I know Faison. I, you know, I remember this upbringing coming up in the game, man. I used to watch a lot of these underground shows and shit, man, because I was in the streets real heavy then, but I was trending into the to the to the um industry as well. Uh shout out to Spider Loke, man. Uh I really don't know that cat personally. I know of him. Like I said, one thing about LA, bro. If you got a name, and that's that's the thing about our streets. You gotta have a name, bro, to move in these streets. You can talk all this shit on this internet all you want. You gotta have a name to really move in these streets. You can you can hide behind this internet, but in order to really come out, move in the streets of LA and really move and be one of them niggas, you really gotta have a name. I don't know the youngin' because he's from a different generation from me, from a third ge generation, bro, of Crips. I know the first and second generation of Crips, you know, from the from the Tookies to the Raymond Washington's 
you know what I mean, to the Timmy Carnegie's from Harlem's, you know what I mean, the Scooters from Harlem, the White Boys from Harlem's, the Gray Streets, the PJs, you know, things of that nature. So when when you speak on what happened with Faison and this other young cat, I don't know this cat. So, again, one thing I could say, and I, and I would say the same thing Spider Lowe said, being that I don't know the dude, I can't say whether or not he a real crip or he not a crip. But what I can say is this, and Spider Lowe kind of, he was trying to explain it, but again, he was he's not from that era where he can really give y'all that, that fine-tuning because he wasn't from that era. And I, and I, I really respect how he conducted himself and did his interview because certain shit he answered and then he kind of backed up and he didn't put himself in a limbo as being a crip because he knows OG Crips is watching him is his big homies, this real G's that if you're going to tell it, you got to tell that shit thoroughly, you got to tell it right or don't fucking tell it all, don't open your mouth they go for Diamond War Keyway, Bloods ain't Crips so me being a second generation, a double OG I'm going to break it down to y'all Trickling from this West as far as the game theory we're going to back up I uh, seen an interview a couple of weeks ago, and not just myself, the whole West Coast, a lot of cats in the West, and it's kind of on there, Doggy Diamonds. Uh, you know, he made a statement based on, and, 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 and when he made this statement, he didn't make the statement where it was a personal statement because he mm-hmm. said, we, we as in, like my coast, New York, we, we. So he 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 said that, you know, we on New York, we thought, you know, back in the 70s and 80s, man, you know, with the Jerry Curl, no, back in the 80s, excuse me, the 80s when hip-hop came about, he said back in the 80s, we, we was gang-banging and we was doing the drive-bys and all this with the Jerry Curls and the rap, we thought you niggas was soft. What? That's crazy. This, this, dude, this dude literally went on the internet nationally. And so I made a video and spoke on it, bro. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But the video is respectable because I didn't clap at the dude directly or clap at him on some odd out eye shit, but it was like for him to be on the platform he was on with the, the platform that he, he owns and co-owned on and to speak on and for his partners and nobody on there to fucking say nothing. Now for me being on the West and me being a real G and one of them niggas from the West and out of the Nixon Garden with a name that moves on this coast and makes a difference. That shit moved me a certain kind of way and touched me. So I had something to say. And you know how niggas want to act like little hoes and bitches and you know the but so I had to really correct myself, bro. That oh hold on, Cap. Let's keep it professionalism because you are on the platform and you are on this bullshit social media and you already know niggas ain't gonna bring it to that real level and it fucking ain't even about that. So it's cool. Let individuals be the individuals that voice their little shitty opinion. You know what the real is. The other real Crips and Bloods of Los Angeles know what the real is. But, bro, don't think niggas ain't listening, paying attention. That's why I said a lot of cats are on this internet and say shit besides these stuff, bro. You feel what I'm saying? So, getting back to the, the question on topic on hand is during the early 80s, when the East Coast, Chicago was already set their own trends, man. And Chicago always produced gangsters from, from you know, the 30s, the Depression days on up and coming on in the 70s, it was gangsters coming up out of Chicago. And I mean black gangsters as well as mafias. It was gangsters. You know what I'm saying? Philly, gangsters. So these cities didn't have gang bangers and gang members. 
So what happened was in the 80s, because I know for a fact, because I was one of the trendsetters, me, my crew, my best friend, rest in peace, Cyclone, Michael Bell, a.k.a. Cyclone, and to Spark Miller Gangsters, introduced me. I'm fresh out of Folsom, 1986. I just get out of Folsom, both of them knocked down four years. San Quentin, Folsom, Solid Dad, and Tracy. Mm. It all four main yards. So I'm fresh out. And the new wave then was packing your own shit and being, becoming your own mule and cross state. Now, being that you're a gangster, slash gang banger, slash gang member, and you're coming from your turf, you're going to a whole different turf that's new, a baby, 10, 15, 20 years behind the world. We're 20 years faster than this state, this city, this culture. So you see the game? So when we flew out in them early 80s, and it wasn't just us as the gang members and the gangsters, it started with our big homies, like, you know what I'm saying, me, the Freeway Ricks and the Michael Harrios and, you know, the Tootie Tootie Reese's and the Ray Ray's and the Renee McGowan's Rest in Pieces, the Wizards. It started with them first. They made the connection with the New Yorkers, the Chicagoans, you know, the shit like that. So it opened that path for us because now they were already introduced to the D game. So we became our own mules. We took the D game to them. And when we took the D game to them, we took the G game to them as well because we stamped our shit, whatever area we hit. So now this become our area. Nigga, this is Bloods right here. Or this is Crips right here. So that's how it, it descended in the early 80s, bro. And the first coast that really, really took this culture and he adapted to it fast. And it was like, you can you, you were damn this, you would definitely think you in California. And that was the Midwest, bro. Especially Kansas City. Yeah. Heard. The first coast. Kansas City, bro, because that's where I took my first flight to back home, KC, bro. I had a fucking bird on me, busting having two cookies, bro, stuck in a jockey strap right in my nuts, bro, on an airplane, homie, and rolled Kansas City, homie. And I did this shit about 15, 20 times before I started hiring my own mutes. But that was our break-in of how we got out in the 80s, and we started descending to these other cities. So when I hit New York, when I hit New York, I hit New York. I was Summers in New York, 2001, 2002. I get a call. I'm Summers in New York. I shoot down in New York. I hook up with this young cat. I get them, you know, they, they want to know the history. They want to know the history of the motherland, primarily the Nixon. They want to know the history of the Mecca. So I lace them. I give it to the youngers. But I don't come down here on no strategic, oh, we for the gangbang. I'm going to teach you niggas how to go over and kill these dudes and shoot these dudes. Nah, that was never, ever, ever the plan, period. I was trying to give dudes the structure understanding on how our culture established and started and being that you guys are trying to adapt to it now. Hold on, man. Y'all too late, basically. Mm. Y'all too late, homie. You'll never be able to catch up and do what we did in them 70s and 80s. And you don't want to. You don't fucking want to because it would be detrimental to your health. So y'all too late. So now what we have is we have a, again, generation gap, a culture gap where you got a culture trying to establish and reoccur shit that happened in the past. That's why you got shit so buck wild. But the, uh, the thing about it is, there's no structure, no rules, no G-code behind none of them. That's why it's all fucked up like it is. You feel what I'm saying? Yeah. So, so getting back to the face on saying 
the young cat being a fake crib. It's rules when it comes down to this crippled blood life and this, this gang culture of Los Angeles. Now, it's different for us when you can be somebody, and again, only you have to have a name for somebody. And you can leave from LA and go establish a turf somewhere and then bring it back to the hood and it's, it's, it's stamped and it becomes official because of who you are. But if you're not that official person, trust and believe me, man, I don't give a shit how many niggas you talk to on this internet and your fake ass tell them you a G from them neighborhoods. Boy, that shit gonna catch up with you, young nigga. That's what be catching up with a lot of you. Like, you don't hear fake, man. You ain't who you are. Stop that shit. We don't even need that shit, bro. Why even gangbang in 2021 or 20, bro? That's about that's the shit I'm on with the question about you, young dudes in this generation. Why y'all trying to mimic and be some shit that we already done and died and suffered and still in prison for right now? All my niggas that's got life. Shout out to them. Keyways, Mexican mafias, Bloods, Crips, Vanguards, BGS, man. See, y'all don't even know how deep this shit go, man. It was a real fucking culture, man. This shit is crazy, bro. So I say Faison voiced his personal opinion, I guess, because he may personally know that dude. That's the only thing I can say from what I've seen. But to say he's not a real crip or fake crip, for me voicing my opinion, I don't know the cat. I just seen, I, I looked at the video because I didn't even know who the hell they was talking about. Of course, so I did my research, looked at the video. Oh, you're a rapper. Oh, okay. Oh, he run with the Harlems. He fucks with the Harlems. See, this is how deep this shit go because I'm a real one. So I said, let me do my homework, find out if he is a crip or if he's validated or he's on his way to that level of becoming official. So I, I found out, okay, he run with the Harlems. So he got a few Harlems behind him, and that could be two things. The Harlems could just be getting their money dealing with him on a business perspective. And, of course, by you running with them like a whole lot of these fake-ass rappers in the game, he ain't by himself, fake bloods, fake crips, they doing the same shit. They running around in these neighborhoods to get tagged so they can have certification, bro, and say, oh, I'm blood, I'm crip. But you pussies ain't shit. Hmm. You feel me? You niggas ain't paying homage to these neighborhoods. You ain't coming out here burying these kids that's getting killed or putting money on burials and funerals and shit like that, man. You niggas is real fake niggas, man. So me, I push that real line. So when, and I'm me being heavily in this industry, when I, when I cross paths with certain individuals and I see certain niggas, I address it or I speak to niggas. Say, oh, man, let me how that's, you know what I am? Let me introduce myself. Because, you, you know, you you hollering about you blood. Nigga, you need to know who I am, man. Because, you know, that shit ain't, it don't sit right with me. But it's like, just because you run with a certain community or a certain area of dudes from that community don't make you official and you're a rapper. Why the fuck would you make millions of dollars, you done took your talent, God done blessed you to make it to the top, get out of poverty if you even in poverty, because 80% of you niggas don't even live poverty. Your mamas and daddy had jobs. They're educated. It's all a fucking lie. It's part. You know what I'm saying? So why would you make it to the top just to become a gangster and a thug or a, a, a fucking to say with your past, with your pants sagging and say, I'm a thug, I'm a killer. But then when you ain't murk shit. But then when it really do happen, you want to do the 69 shit. Mm, yeah. And see now, boy, listen, don't get me on that shit because I'm so sick of these fake niggas on this internet. And then 
again, going back to that dude, he had the nerve to call that nigga soldier, say he was a soldier in the army. Man, this I say this generation is fucked up, man. They, they understanding, they have no understanding when it comes down to this culture of these streets, the rules, the regulations, the guidance, the significance of it, bro, the DP behind the shit. They have no freaking idea, man. And niggas just be over here, ha, yeah, run this to me. And I want to say this to the world, whoever's listening, however is listening, however people is listening, man. Snitching is fucking snitching, man. Straight up. Now, you have different categories to snitching. Now, I'm not talking about this old lady just got robbed and the man over there at the store seeing what happened and he's an elderly, so he helping his elderly partner out, so he gave the police information. I mean, I, I can't say I'm a condole with that. I understand it, because those that's an elderly situation. My only understanding is this, bro, to give y'all clarification and understanding. When it comes to these streets, it's fucking different rules. All that other shit go out the door. Snitching is supposed to be prohibited. It's rule number one in the game of this life when it comes to the streets. Whether you're a hustle, a pimp, a player, a gangster, a mafia, snitching is supposed to be prohibited, bro. And the organization tells you this shit, man. So you cannot become a part of something and then turn around in the end. You don't want to carry the weight because you want to decide, oh, shit, I'm going to take everybody down because they're going to give me a deal. And that shit ain't cool, bro. You signed up for this shit. A contract, like every other thing, you signed up. When you was out here, boom, yeah, yeah, can't nobody touch me. I'm untouchable. I killed everybody. <laughs> it was cool. Now they got the cuffs on you. Oh, 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 this, this shit is it's real. It's reality. Yeah, it's two sides to shit, bro. It's, you can be the nigga who you want to be in these streets. You can be the radicalist nigga. But are you ready to deal with the consequences on the other side? Because it's coming. You can't do bad and fucked up shit and beat bust heads and think, oh, it's, you ain't going to get your turn to go down. Or It's coming, bro. I'm telling you from the lion's mouth. I'm, I'm telling you from experience. Logical facts, nigga. Because I lived a life. I had to pay the consequences. I had to pay the piper for the shit that I had done. Shit I had to, you know, get involved with. I had to pay the price. I had to pay the consequences, bro. This shit comes with the territory, my nigga. I didn't be in positions where I didn't got caught up, and my homies is gone. But they get me. Man, ain't nobody knocking on no nigga dope. Yeah, come on. Your boy said you was with him. Because we play by the rules, homie. Feel me? And then the crazy part about it is 85 to 90% of these cases, these young dudes get caught up in, or they beat these cases, bro. They can flat out beat them fucking cases. And I'm going to show you how. Primary rule number one. When the cuffs come on, you do this. Don't say nothing else. If you ain't cussing them bitches out, taking your anger out, calling them pussies, fuck you. Nigga, let's get out we get to the police station. Fuck y'all. If you ain't talking that type of shit, you do this. Go Ziploc bag on them. Don't say nothing. When he come in and read you your rights, you let him read you your rights, you don't say shit. You don't wave, man. You don't say nothing. Now, it's time for you to forget arraignment. Nine times 10, if the evidence is not marked the way it's supposed to be, you ain't even going into court. You won't get a DAWJ. And niggas going to take deals or plead their ass right in the substation. Shitty, man. So it's like, bro, it's rules to this, man. It's rules. So, mm -hmm. again, this is the reason why Faison made 
had his own personal reason why he called that dude a fake crip or he wasn't an official crip because he may personally know him. You know what I'm saying? Now, Faison say, I, I, I seen another interview now, I, I found out Faison say he has some double background where he's from San Diego. You know what I mean? Now, I can't say, now, now that's, now that's the same position. Me being a real Damu, a double OG from Nixon Card, and I know Skyline's home for real ones for the first and second generation. Again, I know real the founders down there. Like Nick Cannon Daddy, for example, bro. Nick Cannon Daddy was a founder, bro, down there in San Diego, Paru. Coming up in that system era when we were coming up. You know what I'm saying? So it's like you have to have had that name of Noose or been in that era of being somebody better say, okay, well, yeah, I, I come up with me, or I was this, or I was, okay, it's easy to say it now on this internet, if with, with a lot of people don't do their homework, and then, if you don't do your research, and, okay, chances are, you can wear that shadow for a minute, you can fake it off, but I, I can't say Faison is a, a real blood, or he's a, I know him as a comedian, a fat-ass black comedian that I met in the underground circuit as a comedian, he was a funny nigga to me. I see him in little raggy ass cars, you know what I'm saying? Handle his business, you know what I mean? Not taking nothing from the nigga. Because I tell any nigga anything in his face that I say, bro. But the thing is, niggas can't get over here and get really get besides themselves on some gangster shit when it's really out of your element. You shouldn't even be talking about some gangster crippling blood shit. If you ask me, you're a comedian, huh? You're an actor slash comedian. So unless you were just trying to bite that to put yourself in a position. He shouldn't even touch that way because that wasn't even his, his his call to even speak on. I mean, again, but he has his own opinion to voice publicly because of the way this shit is set up when you're on this media. You know, you do, you do have your own opinion. So it can go both ways. Like you say, people start saying with on, you ain't a real blood or you ain't official blood. You want to come back 50 years or 40 years later and say you're a blood? You never said you was a blood all during your comedy career. We never knew that. So people could say that. But this internet reveals so much shit, bro. So that's why I say, you got to be careful, man. What you say, how you do it. You know what I mean? Again, man, you know, just reflecting back. Like I say, bro, what nothing soft about this West Coast in the 70s and bloody 80s, bro. It's like, how dare a nigga reflect on, because we had jerry curls and we were doing drive-bys and the ice cubes and the EGEs was out. That made us soft. So I want to say this, respecting the hip-hop culture music off top and the birth of it, straight come from New York. And everybody in mama should know that if you're in the music. If you don't, then you need to go do your history. Can't nobody in the world sit here and make the argument, say, oh, no, hip-hop to start over here in my hood. It started over here on our block. It started in this coast. No, bro. New York introduced the world to this shit. And when New York introduced the world to it, us being a competitive coast, we took it on our end. And Dr. Dre, big ups to Dre, Dre, NWA crew, Q, all them dudes, uh, uh, DJ Yellow, uh, uh, Unknown, you feel me? All these dudes, they end up, they gave us a sound that we needed to fit our criteria. Think about it. Think if we had some old jazzy ass or some old funny-ass rap, and we killers over here and gangsters and, and hardcore gangbangers on the West, bro. It wouldn't have mixed. That shit wouldn't right. have mixed at all. 
So what we did was they created a sound for us. And that sound coincided, matched the streets of Los Angeles, bro. And the shit went. That's why the shit went the way it went. It went so hard, it went because it was us. It was who we were. It was our lives, our lifestyle, from the low riders, you feel me, the smoking chronic, the getting down, banging, shooting, boxing. It, that was our life. So the music enhanced that and became what we were. And it coincided. So, man, shout out to Dr. Dre. Cube, definitely my homie Cube, you feel me? The whole NWA, the whole creation, man, who came in that era, created that sound for us, bro, because that's what gave us that criteria in hip-hop when it came down the West Coast, and that's the separation. But when it comes down to hip-hop, that's just like, I could flip it around as an OG right now and say this, right? I could be sarcastic or on some funny shit and come on your platform and say, yeah, man, this shit up. Uh, back in the 70s, matter of fact, in the 80s, you guys were down there uh, beatboxing. Niggas had jerry curls and perms spinning around on box boards and shit in the middle of the streets and on trains, man. We West Coast niggas thought y'all was soft. How that's how going to sound, bro? You feel what I'm saying? Disrespectful. Yeah, I never heard. Hey, no, speaking no. from the East Coast, we, we don't feel like that in the East Coast. Hell that's no. some New York no. shit, I guess. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Don't get me wrong, God. And, uh, Sam, but I'm saying... Smart dudes know, bro, but it's like, it's like, come on, homie. Niggas got to stop getting over here shooting them on fake-ass slugs and trying to shoot a pistol on the under and think real ones don't see it or hear it, bro, because you, you, you touch it on the, the lanes that you don't supposed to be on. This ain't even your lane, period. And then niggas think, you know, it's cool to be out and about, and then you run into the wrong niggas, and you wonder why you're getting your shit bust open, your mouth wide open, feel me? your security and everything, because you're playing with the wrong lanes, bro. So it's like, bro, you, it's, there's no way a motherfucker say any coast was soft or any coast is soft. Because every coast have their own culture and they way of doing things, bro. And it's gangsters and hard-headed niggas in every freaking coast, bro. Every coast. So you can't call, call a coast soft. So that's like, dog, come on. Ain't no way in hell because New York was beatboxing. They was fashion. Always known for it and getting money. Man, we looked up to New York for that shit. We didn't look at New York, down on New York like, oh, them niggas is pussies out there. They suffered. We thought New York was the shit because them niggas was hustlers. They get money. That's what that was our mentality from the West. You feel what I'm saying? So, and then we also knew the East Coast had a thing against us as far as being black. They was really on their black shit because they said, man, why the Cali niggas on some pro black killing each other shit, homie? So, bro, in the 80s and the 70s, we knew that for a fact in New York. So how did New York turn around or just the East Coast in general flip and spin the rail where they became so inflated with gang and the gang culture when they was against it? Right. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So it was the two-headed coins. There was the flip side, the heads and the tails, bro. No doubt. No doubt. I wanted to ask you about um, the Gangster Chronicles. I seen you was with them, you know, maybe six months ago, and um, it seemed like you had a disagreement. I seen your video on Instagram and everything. Um, I wanted to ask you about what happened to the situation with Gangster Chronicles. You able to hear me? Give it to me again. Okay, I said I seen your video on Instagram you put up a few days ago. Um, you were venting about some things that were going on. 
with your career. I wanted to ask you, um, what happened to your situation with Gangster Chronicles? Are you still with those guys? And if not, what happened over there? Unmute yourself, fam. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Okay, um, damn, I kind of, I, I kind of thought, I, 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 I had, um, I put that video up, right? But then I snatched it down, bro, because again, a cat, a cat of my situation and my position and the caliber dude that I am, man, I got to be careful in my growth on this, this shit, because it's all, this is new to me. It's like a lot of other real dudes in these streets, bro. This this is new to me, this internet shit, bro. I'm not no nigga come from no internet. I come from the real, real deal with this shit. So when I have a problem with a nigga or an issue, I address that issue. Or I address that in, individual, and I address that problem on the end. So mm-hmm. speaking on the Gangsta Chronicles shit, homie, it's like this, man. Um, This game is wicked, bro. It's wicked, it's shitty. Um... It's divide and conquer, it's separation. And if you're not smart and you 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 know you partnered up with somebody and your partner not smart and you're not smart and there's no real unity amongst y'all, bro, then you'll find yourself separated. You'll find yourself like this. You'll find yourself divided. You'll find yourself jumping ship to ship in this business, right, in this game, because that's how wicked this shit is. So I was never, ever a host, a permanent host, or own Gangster Chronicles. So let, so let me clarify that right now for, for everybody TV land. I was never a part of Gangster Chronicles. I was collaborating with Gangster Chronicles and DSN, which is Digital Soapbox Network. They were my collaborative partners. I was going in to do a collaboration business deal situation with Funny Boy Norm Steele. Basically, mm. you feel what I'm saying? And, um, I thought the cat was a good dude, you know, great cat, man, you know, kind of smart about this media shit, man. So me being a smart businessman, I collaborated with him and I connected with him, bro. And uh, I basically, you know, like, you know, like, like explained to him, man, like, you know, I like what you're doing, homie. Uh, I'm going to allow my, my rules of engagement to fall up under the DSN umbrella as, as a digital distributor. But I'm going to monetize my own shit. I'm going to do my own IP, I own my IP, I'm going to own my own content. Everything is going to trickle down to Cappuccino Films like it's supposed to. I'm on all LLCs. All my shit's going to be me, but we'll be partners, not your fucking employee. I refuse to be your employee like the rest of some of these cats are because they sleep, sleep. So, and I don't really want to get into depths, deep, deep depths of it, but I'm going to speak on it since y'all brought it up, homie. And it's cool because I don't mind, but at the same time, I don't like funny shit and I hate fake-ass niggas. And niggas know they fake. They should have put themselves in that position with me and all people because they know. So I uh, <clears throat> went in and do some, some business with the brother and I just figured the brother's intentions was different than what it's supposed to be originally. So I kind of had to pull myself away. On the other hand, the other cat that I spoke on as far as my homeboy on here, you know what I mean? Uh, James McDonald, you know what I mean? Uh, just a total disappointment to me, bro, because me and this bro is homeboys, man. This is my homie. And like, you know, like you say, niggas be on this internet telling me, oh, I keep it 100, I'm this, I'm that. But bro, not bringing my business, because like I said, I'm not going to go into full, full details, none of that shit, but not bringing my business to this internet or the social media, 
but I came to the internet to vent because I had to. It was necessary being who I am because if I didn't and I'd have kept that shit in bottle, I probably would have found myself in a different situation and taken myself on a whole different level, period. Fuck the internet altogether. So what I did was I said, you know what? Let me go express it to the world. Let me vent. And let me teach other young niggas how not to get caught up in situations because it may seem cool and good, but at the end of the day, you find out who really your niggas is. You find out who really your homeboy is. You really find out, oh, niggas ain't really got your real good intentions. They really don't got your back. They all for sale. These niggas is greedy. They sellouts. Pussy-ass niggas. You feel what I'm saying? So if you want to be that way, nigga, then why even bother me? Why real me and why even fuck with me when you know I'm a smart one? Or if he find out, oh, he gonna call us out on it. No, see, niggas don't, it's like, they don't care, bro. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I uh try to address the situation as a man to both of my individuals as a man, bro. I wouldn't address the situation by phone. And niggas got the, oh, this is the wrong number. Oh, you, you're calling the wrong phone number. Oh, oh, you know, the bullshit. Mm-hmm. Oh, y'all playing the fuckery game with the wrong fucking nigga. Niggas, you niggas know this. You know what I'm saying? So I had to show my ass at one point and really, really go there. And I'm not going to go into the depths of it. So I had to take that video down because I didn't want that to be the reflection and, and, and really wanted to put it out there in that aspect. But I was so bad at that moment, bro, because I was in my fight mode and niggas know me. I go there. It ain't just ain't gotta be. This ain't about no age, nigga. You don't step on my toes, nigga. I don't go for disrespect from no nigga, no man, shit. Period. And I don't care how old I'm gonna get. You gonna have to knock me down, a senior citizen. But to knock me out, being young, nigga, you're not gonna disrespect me. I don't go for that shit, bro. So when I felt that way, and I try to dress it as the man that I am, and niggas try to act funny too, and want to act all like, oh, like, oh, well, I'm the shit. Hold on, hold on, no feather foot ass niggas. Hold on, niggas. This me. This this cap. This me, homie. I, I was just ripped you, niggas. This me. Don't do this to me, my niggas. Don't make me have to flip the script and go to BJ on you, niggas, nigga. Come on. Why do that shit to me, bro? So it's like I expressed it. I vented on it. And then I, when I sit back, and of course a queen hit me, get, get in my ear, hey, hey, you know that's a. So no, no, come on, man. You already know how these funny niggas act to be doing you. You know this. When you go to battle, go to war, you go to prison. These niggas call send you to jail. They don't go to war. Leave that shit alone. I said, you know, you right. So I took it down. You feel me? And then I put another video back up in reference to the Nino Cappuccino characteristics because that was BJ I was showing at that time. And I came back with an extreme apology to all my followers, all my supporters, the people who was watching and looking, because that ain't the image I want to project on this this, this media, bro. That's not the image I want to portray on here, because mm-hmm. I don't portray anything, homie, because I'm really who I am, period. And so I already had to come over here and show my ass before on uh, Sound Minds, given the original origins of the UVN, and I got trolled on and and all kind of old funny ass shit for about six, seven months by some funny niggas I didn't even know from a whole other coast. And they swimming out, they killers and OGs and all that. So, bro, I, I can't get out like that because I'm a realist. If you fuck with me and I think it's a problem, I'm coming to get that ass, nigga. That's just who I am. 
So I can't be on here with that shit in the shenanigans, bro. So I had to check myself. So what I did as a real man and a real king, when I made that video and I took it down, I went straight in my big ass mirror. And I stood in the mirror, lit one, and I hit it. And Nino Cappuccino started hollering at BJ, say, B, stand down, man, be cool, man. Keep this shit professional. Niggas already know it. And subconsciously, when you're a man and you do wrong, you know you're doing wrong if you've done wrong with your partner or your homeboy. It's gonna beat you constantly. Mm-hmm. Nigga ain't gotta keep reminding you. It's gonna beat you constantly. You may be on your little roll for the moment, or shit may be looking good for you, but what's what's hidden in the dark, it comes to the light. Eventually, it tells itself. So you ain't even gotta do nothing, Cap. Kick back. Kick back, BJ. Stand down. You're right, Nino. You're right. Yeah, don't let them niggas get you riled up, man, because you know when you get riled up, you go to prison. They tell on you. They call the police. They shit. Don't let yourself get caught in that. Too much going on. Do what you keep doing what you're doing, man, and represent, man. The fucking hood is counting on you as well, man. Hmm. You're right. So I checked the man in the mirror, bruh. You feel what I'm saying? So that's what that was about. So basically, I was never with Gangster Chronicles as far as a host or on their show. Again, like everybody else, like everything else, bro. I don't call niggas. I was summoned. I got on the very first show in December because I made contact with my homeboy, Bob James, because he was the host of the show. And I thought my homie owned the show. Mm. I thought this nigga owned the show. So I made contact to him. Thinking, oh, shit, I'm, I'm proud of my nigga. My nigga got his own little platform. Let me get over here and start creating my shit. So I went over there. Of course, my nigga opened arms, put me on. I, I did my first interview with him. Shout out to Alex, because Alex was a great commentator. He was a great analyst. He was a great researcher. So I did my interview with Alex. I didn't have to talk to Mr. Shrek himself. Oh, ugly ass nigga. <laughs> oh, ugly ass nigga. Stop being that kid, nigga. Interview, nigga. Hey, we- I'm telling you. We appreciate your perspective on that, OG. That, that, listen, um, I don't know if you check your DMs often on uh, IG, but Viral Hip Hop News. If you check your DMs, you got a message from Viral Hip Hop News. If you don't mind checking that, I think you'd find some valuable information on there. We could build from there off camera. But um, I got you, got you. Off camera. De- de- definitely check that if you don't mind. And like I said, we'll build from there off camera. But um. I don't know if you got anything else over there, bro. Yeah, definitely appreciate your time, Mr. Uh, Nino Cappuccino in the building for almost an hour and a half of the podcast. We're going to get this brother back on. Yeah, real soon. Once Black History Month come about and that damn documentary coming out, Truce, man. Can't wait to see that bill. Can't wait to see that, man. Talk about that one more time and let the people know where they can find you, brother. I, I just want to say, man, listen. I promise you guys, man, I assure you, as soon as I get this official date, I'll be hitting Vic. I'll hit you guys, and y'all know, as soon as I start my official campaign with my crew, you first on my list. Appreciate you. Let us know we can do to promote anything you need. We got you too, bro. Yeah, man. Y'all want to see that trailer? You want to see the Truce trailer, man? Just go to any one of my YouTube channels, man. Push the link in the bio, man. Follow me, of course, on my IG pages, man, you know. And uh, just stay blessed, man, out there, man. Stay true to yourself. Stay real, man. And to all my youngers out there, man, let me just say this for our long hours before I go, man. Yes, sir. To all the young YGs out there, bro, I know this is y'all era. This is y'all generation, homie. 
me as the real double OG speaking to you guys. Homie. I don't care what it is, red, blue, what whatever click you claim, homie. If you got niggas that show OGs that's in their late 30s and their 30s or their early 40s, and they still out here in their OG, your, your OGs, and they sitting up in the house and they giving you niggas these orders, that makes you fucking OGs, my nigga. Stop fucking with these fake-ass older niggas that's misguided and misleading you niggas. An OG, it's an OG that's still active in the streets, bro. Last I checked. Because when I was an OG and I was still in these streets being an OG, I had to be active. I had to get down with the get down. So if I'm going to express a center nigga or center crew, that means I had to lead by example. So if they not leading by example, homie, stop following these old niggas or stop following the young niggas trying to be old who's misguiding y'all, bro. Get them damn books back in your hand, man, and take your ass to school and the power make this, because that's your power. Not this, bro. Any nigga can shoot a gun, but you niggas can't do the time, bro. I'm gone. West Coast. Rules of engagement, man. Nino Cappuccino. Bless. Salute, God. Appreciate you. Nino Cappuccino on the podcast. Go follow him right now. Rules of engagement podcast. Truth coming out. Truth, excuse me. Coming out soon, man. Appreciate the time, brother. Peace.